Daily life in 21st century America provides a steady diet of anxiety-provoking events. On more days than we care to count, we awaken to television newscasts of riots, violent protests, and killings occurring at various locations throughout the world. Over breakfast, we read about infectious diseases that might evolve into a modern-day plague. Additional power outages resulting from our outmoded energy delivery systems, computer worms and viruses with the potential to destroy our most secure databases, and escalating levels of drug use and violence, both in large cities and small towns. And it gets even more up close and personal. Upon our arrival at the office, we learn that the CEO has made yet another change in employee health insurance coverage, thus requiring us to choose yet another doctor. While driving home from work, we flip from station to station on the car radio in search of information about potential terrorist threats, all the while reviewing on our mind various disaster scenarios that could conceivably befall us. Anxiety has become such an integral part of our lives that Americans reported higher levels of anxiety in the 1990s than they did in the 1950s, the so-called age of anxiety. Among children, the situation is even worse. Starting in the 1980s, normal children experienced higher anxiety levels than adult psychiatric patients in the 1950s. Media pundits and gurus have cited several possible reasons for this increase in anxiety. For one, near-instant communication technology provides us with vivid video depictions of anxiety-provoking events occurring thousands of miles away, events that otherwise often bear little relevance to anything happening or likely to happen in our own lives. What's more, government officials, media marketers, and even scientists have learned an important principle. If they want to get our attention, they have to arouse our anxiety. If you doubt this, just watch the nightly newscasts or read your morning newspaper. Over the last decade or so, they've discovered, principally via the process of trial and error, that most of us pay more attention to those who speak to us of the terrible things that may happen than we do to people who assure us that everything's all right. As a result of these converging influences, we're now exposed to information about innumerable nerve-wracking calamities that might occur. To make matters worse, anxiety tends to be a cumulative emotion. If we become anxious about something today, then our anxiety will resurface whenever we encounter that same event or situation in the future. And since each day provides any number of anxiety-provoking events, the triggers for anxiety arousal increase over the years. In response to escalating personal and communal anxiety, increasing numbers of us are falling prey to anxiety-associated illnesses. At the moment, more than 19 million Americans suffer from some form of anxiety dysfunction. Ask any primary care doctor, and he or she will tell you that anxiety is the underlying cause of the majority of patient complaints. Because we are collectively feeling increasingly threatened, vulnerable, and helpless, that our lives are determined for us by forces outside of our control, our individual and communal anxiety levels are on an increase. In response, we take various attitudes towards managing that anxiety. For example, consider an article I encountered in the New York Times entitled, A Nice Place to Live If You Can Live with Terror. It described the attitudes of several wealthy Colombians living in Bogota in February 2003, two days after terrorists detonated a 330-pound bomb in the parking garage of an exclusive sport and social club, killing 32 people and wounding at least 160. The statements of several of the interviewees are typical of different responses to anxiety, in this case the anxiety provoked by the uncertainty and risk associated with living under threats of terrorism. Six children died in there. How can that be? asked the father of a 13-year-old who had often played squash or miniature golf in the bomb structure. It's absurd, 
so absurd. This march today is a march of fury for the loss of our countrymen, shouted a famous Colombian actor during a demonstration protesting the bombing. If they want to stop us, they will have to kill all 40 million Colombians. Now all of us are worried because we could be in their sights, commented a retired surgeon while on a putting green in his Bogota golf club. I will do the same things I did before, but I'll be more careful, said a retired engineer. I will not go to risky places, to certain restaurants, or take long car trips, or go to shopping malls on certain days. This is still a nice place to live, responded another retired engineer. If you take precautions, you can live very, very well. You just cannot abandon that. Notice the progression of attitudes expressed in these quotes, which I've presented in a different sequence than in the Times article. Disbelief and a sense of absurdity, followed by rage and defiance, then worry, then the determination to make a lifestyle change, and finally, acceptance.